We've got some awesome verses for you guys today in Philippians. We've been going through uh, the book of Philippians uh, in a series that we're calling Life Poured Out, and it has been really, really sweet. I think you guys would agree. Uh, So I've got some stories here today. I've got an excellent text um, with verses. We're going through Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. How many of y'all brought your Bibles today? All right, amen. I'm going to start with a story. So when I was up here last time, and this is my second time preaching, so I'll I'll ask for your grace again, but I actually feel a little bit more comfortable this time, so I think it's going to be good. I even wore my glasses this time so I could see you all. Last time, intentionally, I I didn't wear them, so you all were blurry to me, so it's like, you know, kind of like a way to feel comfortable, but but they're on now, so we can make eye contact. So anyways, I shared some of my story last time, and I'll I'll go a little bit further back, because I talked about when Sayward and I were in the Peace Corps last time, from 2005 to 2007. I'm going to go back to even before that, when we were dating. So 10 years ago, back in 2003, uh, Sayward and I were in college, and uh, we had the the privilege, I guess, of of being invited up to Alaska to to be college interns at the uh, National Park Service's uh, regional office in downtown Anchorage. And, uh, man, that was a beautiful summer, if you remember back 2003. Uh, <laughs> I know it was a long time ago, but uh, beautiful sunny days, or warm days. Like some, some days got to the 70s, the 80s, 80-degree 80 mark. And uh, those days just never seemed to end. I didn't know my, my wife, Sayward, before that time. That's really when we got to know each other. And uh, she was actually training for a marathon that summer, that she had registered for in the fall uh, in the Twin Cities, the Twin Cities Marathon, because we went to school at Michigan Tech University in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, yeah. So um, even though I had never run before at all, except for like PE class in school, I, I, I wasn't a runner, but I liked this girl. She was really cute and fun, and she was training for a marathon. So I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train with her because... That opens up all sorts of opportunities to just spend more time. You know, well, who knows how long a marathon is? <laughs> or how long, how long is a marathon? 26.2, right? 26.2 miles. So I, I, I went on Google Maps this morning, and, uh, and I checked, and that, that, that distance is the same as if you were to run from Bartlett High School up the Glen Highway towards Palmer and reach the Kinnick River Bridge. Okay, that's a long distance. And so, uh, so training for a marathon, is, it's a big deal. It takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of time and energy. And uh, Nate, pull up the, that slide that has the, uh, the training schedule on it. Okay, so, so here's a sample of a training schedule for, for running for a marathon. Because you need to prepare. You can't just, you know, decide you're going to run a marathon the next day and run 26 miles. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't make it. You'd pass out probably at mile five. So you can see this one shows it's 18 weeks of training, and you're running for four days a week, and you're doing a cross training on a fifth day of the week. Who has time to do that anyways? We were single back then, so I guess, I guess we had time. But um, as you can see, as you get down to, say, week, I think you max out, yeah, week 15, you're running, on Tuesday you're running five miles, Wednesday 10 miles, Thursday five miles, Saturday 20 miles. So 40 miles you're running in that, that one week. And uh, 
I actually ran a marathon later in 2010, and, and, and I looked up, because I'm a, I'm a note keeper, I'm an engineer by trade, and, and, and I had recorded that I had run a total of 362 miles to prepare for my marathon that I ran. That's, that's a lot of time. So at an average runtime of nine minutes per mile, that's 54.3 hours of running, just in you know, 18 weeks to prepare for the, the race. So you can say it, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. And, and to me, there was something utterly attractive about a girl who wanted to put in that sort of commitment, who um, had that sort of endurance, that sort of perseverance. And, uh, and I pursued her, and I pursued her to make her my own. And I believe that God does the same for us. And we're going to look into uh, some verses that support that in Philippians. So I've titled this sermon, Running to Win, because today we'll be looking at some verses in Philippians where I believe Paul is addressing the question, when it comes to the Christian life, how do I run to win? So how many runners do we actually have in the audience today? Okay, you've got, yeah, all right, good for you. James, I know you run, come on. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, all right. So Let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 12. Um, what I'm going to do is, is go through the entire text first so you guys can kind of get the, the main idea of what the message is, uh, the kind of the 30,000-foot view. And then after that, we'll go through the verses sequentially and kind of break them down and uh, amplify those, clarify them, and hopefully dig out some nuggets of truth that you can apply in your lives. So here we go, Nate. Thanks. So I'm reading out of the NIV, so your translation might look a little, little different, and, and that's fine. So starting in chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So like other letters written to an audience familiar with the Greek races, Paul, Paul's language in Philippians, especially in verses 12 through 14, exudes athletic imagery. For those of us who attended a service last week, you heard Pastor Greg's message, and, and he taught through verse 12. 
Um, you'll notice that I'm also starting at verse 12, and that's because that, that verse is what's considered a hinge verse, and it, it, it bridges the ideas between the verses that were taught last week in chapter 3, 1 through 11, with the ones that I'm teaching this week in 12 through 21. So I think in order to get an idea of what Paul's referring to in, in, in verse 12, let's scoot back up to verse 10 and what he's saying there. And Nate, if you can bring that up. Okay. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So in verse 12, when Paul's saying, not that I have already obtained all this, what he's referring to is not only knowing Jesus Christ, but also the power that raised him from the dead. And, and, and I consider that to be God the Father and the fellowship of sharing with his sufferings or the Holy Spirit and becoming like him in his death, which is fully submitting to the will of God so that he may share in the resurrection. So in other words, Paul desires a perfect relationship with all of God, with all of the Trinity. And he hasn't obtained it yet. He hasn't been made perfect yet. In fact, he tells us this twice in, in, in the verses. So what does Paul do? Does, does Paul give up? No, no, not at all. Paul, Paul, in fact, doubles down. He continues with this. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I like the ESV translation here because it says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. By Paul's reasoning, because of Christ's sacrifice for him, there's now something that is demanded of him that is bigger than just himself. And he will own it because Christ has first owned him. And the same thing can be said of both you and I. We've been marked we have been claimed, and now we have a calling on our lives. It's the, it's the upward call. It's, it's the high invitation that is not about us anymore. It's about him. Yeah. So that leads me to my first point. Set your eyes on the calling of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us a good example here. Starting in verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He says that again, but he says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul's giving us a model here. He's saying, forget what lies behind. Why do you think Paul would say that? Why would he say forget what, what lies behind? Let's go, let's go back to the running analogy, right? So if you're running and you're trying to look behind you, how well do you think that's going to work out for you? <laughs> it, it's not. Well, first of all, you're not, you're not focused on the goal anymore. You're, you're kind of doing one of these things. And, and so it, it's slowing you down. You're apt to veer off course. You might run into a tree. Good things aren't going to be happening to you if, if you're trying to run forward and you're looking behind you. So uh, we, can, we can also relate this to to our own pasts when we look behind us. With our past can come, an aw can come an awful lot of baggage. And some of us have more baggage than others. 
This baggage can be heavy, and it can wear us down. And it's not easy to run the race if you're carrying, you know, five or six suitcases with you that are all 60 pounds apiece, you know. So we can either choose to carry that burden along with us in the race, in the Christian race, or we can allow Christ Jesus to heal us from past sins, to cleanse us from those past sins, and to lighten our burdens. As Hebrews 12:1 says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. When we do that, when we're able to forget what lies behind, we're able to run so much faster after Jesus. The second point that that Paul makes in his example that he's given is strain forward to what lies ahead. Although I had trained with Sayward for her marathon in 2003, I didn't didn't actually run my first marathon until 2010. And uh, at the time I was reading this book uh, on running, because once you... Once you start training, you're getting into it. Your life is kind of like, you spend a lot of time, so you want, you want to do things right. So I'm reading this book about running, and it's talking about ways that you can change your form in running so that you have less impact on your body, especially your joints. I'm always worried about my, my knees. If I'm, if I'm running when I'm you know, in my 20s and 30s, what's going to happen when I'm in my 50s? Am I going to need a knee replacement? So... I wanted to figure out, is there a better way to run? And, and one of the simplest ways of changing your form, believe it or not, is, is, is this. It's, you put your body in line and you just you lean forward. Okay? So, <laughs> it, it sounds really simple, and it, and it is, but you can see what happens. When I lean forward, this unseen force, gravity, actually kind of pulls me forward. So that's one thing that it does. So I have, I have, I have gravity working for me. And then also, instead of running straight up and down, where, where I'm, my, my feet, when they land, they're kind of breaking me and there's a lot of impact. Instead, when you're leaning forward, your feet are actually landing behind you. So there's, your feet are no longer breaking you like, you like you were before. So you're using less energy. And if you're using less energy, then you can run faster ultimately, right? So Besides giving you random running tips during the sermon, I think, this, <laughs> I think this ties in nicely with what Paul is saying here. You know, when I'm saying lean forward, Paul is saying strain forward to what lies ahead. Straining indicates you're putting forward not minimal effort, but, but kind of a, a maximum sort of effort. You're straining, maybe even to the point of pain. But just as leaning forward while running alleviates impact on our bodies, Straining forward in the race after Christ's calling will alleviate the impact to our souls and help us to run faster. In Revelations 3.16, it's the other 3.16 that you don't hear much about, right? The warning to the church of Laodicea in in Revelations 3.16 is, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I've heard it said that this warning is a fitting one for the Western church. Without pain, without persecution, are we simply coasting along and running with minimal effort? You know, I had a really cool opportunity to sit down with with Greg and Dan on Tuesday and kind of go over my sermon notes. And, And Dan had said, you know, the interesting thing is 
the Greek word for, the, for race is actually agona. Does that sound familiar? Agona. It's where we get our English word agony. So this is implying that there will be some degree of pain involved, some agony when running the Christian race. How many of us are willing to run all out like the girl in this, this YouTube clip that I'm going to have Nate bring up? Sorry, the resolution's a little fuzzy, but I think you'll be able to see it. She's coming down right at the top. She's coming down the chute at Mount, Mount Marathon. Here she comes. Oh. Wait for it, because they're going to show it again in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I think this is funny, but it, it adds to one of my points that I'm making. So. Here we go. And, and I, I, yeah, so this is Mount Marathon in 2008. And this, this was actually a local girl from Seward. Her name's Denali. I, I forget her last name. But I was a little reluctant to show the clip uh, first because my wife was like, you know, she's not wearing something appropriate. And I was like, well, it's what you wear when you run a race. So you have to show us some grace in that. But, um, <laughs> but then secondly, I didn't want people to think that I was making fun of somebody falling. But the, the point is, you know, that girl fell, and she, she got, it's like she, she stopped, dropped, and rolled. She, like, get, rolled over and got right back up and was just running the race again. And uh, I, I looked through the comments on Facebook, and she actually put a, a few comments down. And the first one was, I can't believe I got up from that. So my point is, how many of us are, are willing to run like that, where if we fall down, we're willing to just roll, roll with it, with that inertia, and get back up and just keep running down the hill. So, Paul's third thing that he says in his example that he's setting is, is, to, is to press on toward the goal to win the prize. In the Greek races, which the readers were familiar with, the Philippians would have known about, the winner of a race would receive a, uh, you know, a crown of, of leaves, a wreath of leaves to wear on their head to display their victory. They'd either get that or maybe even a, a cash award. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, our reward looks like something different. Our reward will be everlasting life with our creator. See, Paul is not focused on the goal simply to reach the goal. Instead, Paul desires the prize that he will receive when reaching the goal, the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. So we see in verses 12 through 14, Paul is modeling for us how to run. Then in verses 15 through 16, he's telling his dear friends in Philippi, you should look at it in the same way. So starting in verse 15, it says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I really like the way that Eugene Peterson translates these verses in the message. Um, he continues with the running theme, and he, he says it this way. He says, so let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us, 
if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision and you'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. So God will guide and equip us on the race course. You know, along the course of a marathon, they have uh, these strategically placed aid stations along the way where the runners, you know, after running a especially difficult leg of the run, you know, they can, they can get a cup of Gatorade. You'll see a lot of racers will stop and walk through that aid station instead of keep running. There's these little energy packets that, you know, sometimes will be handed out or maybe a piece of banana or something, but it's a way for the racers to refresh themselves, to rest a little bit, and to be equipped until they get to the next aid station. I think it's interesting that in a similar fashion, God seems to provide us with much-needed rest and aid after an especially difficult stretch of our journey, of our Christian race. But just like during a marathon, where it would be ridiculous after you've reached mile 20, to turn around and run back to mile 19, Paul is telling the church to live out the truth they already know and to stand their ground. Continue moving forward. Don't go backwards. God will provide clarity to all things, clearing our blurred vision so that we may see the course as we refocus on the goal and attaining the prize. Let's continue with verse 17. It says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So Paul is running the race. He's given this, us a model for how he's running the race. And, and he's telling the Philippian church now that, that they should look at the way that he's running the race. And then in verse 17, he says, but don't just look at my example. Look at the field of runners and take note of those who are also running to win. So that leads me to my second point, which is decide who you want to run with. One of the neat things about organized races, especially marathons, is that you are running with hundreds, if not thousands, of other people. And they're all focused on the same goal that you have, to, to, to run the race, to finish the race. Before the start of the race, as everyone's kind of gathering and milling about, you know, it's kind of stretching and getting ready at the starting line, you can just literally feel the energy in the air. You can almost cut it with a knife. And because of that energy, many first-time marathoners, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get ready and they'll, they'll start and they'll just start too fast. And, and they're just caught up in that energy and they're running at a much faster pace than, than the, uh, you know, the, the pace that they had trained at. So I, I didn't want to get sucked into that. So when, when I was running, you know, I, I tried to run a little bit slower to start out with. But as I, I, I kind of settled into my, my, my pace as I was running along, I noticed there was a group of older marathoners. And, and I, when I say older, you know, probably in their 40s or 50s. And you could tell just by the way that they were running and just kind of talking as they were running that this was not their first rodeo. They, they, they had run several marathons before. And so I said, you know, their, face, their, their pace is a little bit faster than, than the one that I trained at, but I'm going to follow them because I want to get some of their strength by running with the group. And so I did that. And I was able to run like the next 12 miles until about mile 17 with that group. 
Paul is telling us something similar here. You know, for some of us, the tendency will be to try to run alone, but that's not what God intends for us. You know, I've been, uh, I've been reading through this book. It's all about Philippians, actually, uh, by Matt Chandler called To Live is Christ, To Die is Gain. And, and I really like what he has to say in this book. So I'm going to read you an excerpt um, about, you know, doing the Christian race together. So he goes, he says, Throughout the New Testament, we learn the important reminder that our faith, though personal, was never meant to be private. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but that personal relationship with Christ was never meant to play out in the privacy of my own mind and heart. By living out my faith, I become an example to others in following Christ. And when others further along than me boldly live out their faith, they become examples to me. We talk a lot in the church about sharing our faith and being a witness, usually as these practices apply to evangelism. But there is a very real need to continually continually share our faith with our brothers and sisters, to be witnesses day after day, even to the already converted. We keep evangelizing each other. Paul puts himself out there as an example and urges the Philippians to look for other Christians to learn from. We are in no less need of discipleship today. Despite all the information we have and everything from books to blogs, we still need to be trained by living examples Mentors in the faith who will, who will serve us by walking with us. It's our responsibility to find people we can disciple, and it's our responsibility to be discipled. So don't run the race alone. Find that group of people that are going to mentor you, that are going to run with you, that you see the way that they train, and you say, I like what they have to offer. I like the way that they're training, and I want to learn how to train like that, how to run like that. So in verses 18 through 19, after Paul's given us an example of, this is how I'm running, and then he says, you should look at, at, at the field of runners and see who else is running to win and model yourself after them too. In 18 through 19, Paul gives us a warning about those whose example we should not follow. So in verse 18, it says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. If you were here last week, these are the dogs that Pastor Greg teached about last week. They will try to trip us up, they're going to try to veer us off course. Their eyes are not fixed on the calling of Jesus. All they can think about is themselves and satisfying their appetites for earthly things. Don't follow these people. They are enemies of Christ. Contrasting this, Paul then brings us back and in verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So like verse 12, Paul is looking forward to attaining the resurrection. He comes back to this theme. See, Jesus has already finished the race. He is the author 
and perfecter of our faith. And he's also the beginner and the finisher of the race. And not only that, he is victorious, isn't he? So I referred earlier to Hebrews 12, and and it's such an awesome support passage for this. I like how it dovetails in. So let's read the full passage from verse 1 through 3 of Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So in light of this, you should run like you've already won. That's my last point. There we go. When I finished my marathon, I was utterly exhausted, but I had reached my goal. I didn't come in first place. That wasn't my goal. I wanted to finish the race. My time at four hours and six minutes was not spectacular. It was somewhere in the middle of the pack. Um, But the training had paid off, and I completed my goal, which was to finish. In fact, each runner who finishes a race, uh, at least the marathon that I know of, and and Sayward has one of these from, from 2003, Um, from the Her Twin Cities Marathon, and I've got this from the Humpies Marathon in 2010. Uh, It's interesting. It says, race finisher. So when I look back at this token medal and I remember the experience, I realize that right now, looking back, I don't remember the pain or the exhaustion, only the perseverance and the sense of accomplishment that comes with finishing well. However, during the course of the race, we will experience pain, and we're going to experience some doubt, and we're going to constantly need to fix our eyes on Jesus, just like Hebrews 12 says. But just like it says in Hebrews, Jesus has already won the race. He has been crowned the victor, and he he is seated at the right hand of the Father, but one day he will return. And if I am still here on earth at that time, I want him to see me running hard after him so that I too may be called not only a finisher, but a winner. Yeah. Peter, you can bring your team up. So Paul concludes this text in chapter 4, verse 1, saying, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So when it comes to the Christian life, how do we run to win? Well, first, we need to set our eyes on the calling of Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind, we need to strain forward to what lies ahead and press on toward the goal to win the prize. Secondly, you need to decide who you're going to run with because you can't run the race alone. Paul's given us an example to follow, and we should also submit ourselves to the discipleship of those who are focused on winning, not those distracted by the things of this world. And lastly, run like you've already won. 
Jesus has already won the race. He's the beginner and finisher. Personally join in the victory by committing today to run like a champion. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just, I just thank you for the way that your message is just so clear. It's just so crystal clear that, that Christ has paid it all, that he's already run the race and that he is victorious, Father. And so I just thank you for that example. I, I just thank you for, for Paul's words where he's just girding us on and saying, you need to run and run hard. Lord, I ask that you would just challenge us with that message, Father, that you would open up our hearts and whatever it is that you're speaking to us right now about that, that we would meditate on that and that we would, we would act on that, that we would seek out mature, brothers and sisters in Christ to run with, Father, that we would put ourselves under their discipleship and that we would desire to disciple others who aren't as far along. I just thank you for all that. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.